Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. What you're about to hear is part of a series that Adam and I do with real estate forms as part of their Ref Club platform called Ask the Experts and or Thinkins. So please stick tuned for after the interview where Adam and I will still do the after show where we digest the conversation that we had. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Ref Club Ask the Experts. And my co-host is Aaron Cameron. We run the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National and also are happy to host these events with Ref Club on a weekly basis. Again, for members who are Ref Club members, you should put in questions because we'll be asking them at the end. You can put them in at any point throughout the process as they come up to the top of mind. And then at the end, you'll have a one-on-one chance to uh, talk with Ray. So please take advantage of that. Ray Wong is the guest today. He's Vice President of Data Operations at Altus. He has spoken with us twice before, every time, just come with a whole pile of insight and knowledge. So I'm quite excited to talk to him. The focus of the conversation today is going to be market trends and top deals in 2021 so far. Of course, we are not that far into the year, but we're going to highlight what the activity has been like. And before we recorded, Ray did mention it's a good news story. So it's got to be a fantastic presentation when you're delivering good news. I hate to be the bearer of bad news myself, so I'm excited to see all the sunshine blowing into the commercial real estate world. Ray, welcome back. Thank you for... Uh, it's not normally that. I get invited the second time and third time is very unusual. So thank you, Adam and Aaron. I think what we'll do, because there is quite a bit of information here that we're going to get through today, we'll start national level. You know, We'll look at the... the urban centers and that we're going to narrow down on some of the real headline deals that have happened all the ones with the many many zeros that follow and everybody likes to pay attention to but as uh, to get us going though i think that just a market overview would be great we got information on the five biggest markets so ray do you want to walk us through that yeah so adam sort of uh, stole my thunder of, of the good news story but again the initial numbers that we're running for january to february are quite positive because we went into the pandemic in uh, March of 2020, and that's when the deal flow started to fall off. But when we ran the first two months of this year, and again, these are deals that are closed. So most of the deal activity takes place in the sort of fourth quarter of 2020. But the positive thing is that it's good. And remember, 2019 was a record year. 2020. We're off by about 20% on a national basis. But you look at the early returns for the greater Toronto area, you're looking at an increase in volume by about 9%. So in 2020, January to February, 3.2 billion. And now we're hitting about 3.5 billion. And it also shows you that it's the bigger deals because transactions are actually down by 4%. But overall volume is up by 9%. So that shows you the confidence that we had back in the, the fall and going into the fourth quarter with the deal flow because it shows you that there's confidence in the marketplace. Even Montreal. Montreal has been always the number three in the, in the way of activity. And it's getting noticed. The overall number of transactions is up by 17%. Again, for January, February 2020 versus January 2021. Now, 
overall investor volume is down by 15%, but it shows that a number of smaller deals in the marketplace, and especially with the farmer side. Now, with Vancouver, the deal information takes a little bit longer to process because of the province, and it's showing a significant drop compared to last year. Overall volume were down by about 54%, but that's more due to the slow data coming in. And I think the numbers, the gap between 2020 and 2021 is a lot narrower than 54%. It's probably closer to about 18 or 20%. And with respect to Calgary, overall uh, number of transactions are up by 36%, and investment volume is only down by 7%. So this gives you an overall idea of what's probably in store for 2021. And we're, like we said on the last call, that overall activity in 2021 did exceed 2020. And the first few months of this year is a good indication of that. Ray, just for context on the numbers you're giving us, where do you carve out what gets included? So like for multifamily, is it five plexes and up or duplexes get counted? And same thing for you know the retail. Are you counting storefronts? Like just what it gets considered in sort of the bucket? Yeah, so we include transactions for the stats, a million dollars and up. In the local markets, we track in Vancouver is over 250,000. But so we're trying to compare all the large deals. So again, these it's a good velocity for million dollars plus for, for overall investment transactions. And is it storage, retirement homes? Like what else? Is it all Everything. asset classes? Every yeah. food group? Yeah. 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 It's funny with the initial information that the GTA is largely driven by industrial retail. And that's a little bit surprising given all the news that we're getting in the retail side. But again, it's based on the opportunities in the marketplace and as well as land. So land has always been, on both the res and the commercial side, very active. So it's still strong in that sense. With respect to Montreal and Vancouver, it's an apartment story. And, and what we're seeing on the apartment side for Montreal, year-over-year activity, again, January, February to January, 2020, it's up by close to about 50% in the way of activity. So from $482 million in 2020, and we're up to you already for the first two months of this year, of $713 million. So again, it's, it's showing that momentum in the markets, and it's still the assets. Even though we're getting a lot of interest into a lot more on the life sciences for storage facilities and data centers, it's your, um, your traditional products that are still quite active in the market. Ray, you mentioned land as being an indicator of recovery. And this is probably a question I should have prepped you with. But if you were to compare the most recent downturn to any, any of the prior over the last 20 years, how fast did land activity come back then? And is that what you're basing this on now, that this is a sign of life that people have faced in the market? It's the availability of uh, capital confidence. And uh, when there's a bit of a slowdown in the market, going back to the financial crisis, it was overall activity on the investment side. It was down 40% from 2007, 2008, that sort of time frame. And even though that land transactions are down, it still led markets like the GTA. So it's an injection of confidence, especially with bank, some of those opportunities, especially if there's any type of softness in the marketplace to take advantage of it, I think is a positive sign. 
And I think we're going to see a lot of uh, demand for land, both on the, the res side and the ICI side. But the challenge we have is the lack of product on there. You're right. It's a very positive indicator of the anticipation over the next couple of years. And again, there's a theme right now, whether or not we're in something that's similar to the roaring 20s. And because of the pent-up savings, especially with consumers, and as well as the availability of, of capital in the marketplace by um, investors, whether or not it's just going to take off once we get the vaccine shots and when people return to a certain level of normalcy. And again, then you get into the whole question about inflation and how quickly we actually might come back. But there's, again, a lot of money at this point still on the sidelines. Ray, on the land comment, how much of that do you think is speculation that this work from home environment lasts a lot longer? And so particularly on the res side, that there's going to be more demand for houses in the outskirts, much further away from downtown core, maybe not necessarily transportation oriented. Do you get the sense or is it just too early to tell? It's kind of too early to tell, but everything that you just mentioned, it's hard to look at because land has always been active and it's always been a dominant in a way of sales volume, but everything that people are looking for for more space for their dollar. And as well as if you look at, I'm in Toronto, so I'm swaying to some of the areas that I'm a bit more familiar with, but you look at Durham region in the east, it hasn't grown as fast as Mississauga in the west, but because of the amount of infrastructure that's been invested in there, especially in the last um, seven years with the extension of the 401, the expansion of the highways, we're seeing a lot more activity in there. If you look at Amazon alone, there's close to another about 4 million square feet of potential warehouse distribution space that are going to be built in the East End. And as well as the overall residential land prices and residential prices is lower in the East compared to the West. So see some growth there. So there's some of that that based on the pandemic will be able to secure those, those parcels. But you also have to take account that the increase in house prices outside of the GTA and further north or further east, even with um, Belleville, Kingston, and what's happening with um, Barrie and Collingwood. So it's really expanded that growth in, in higher prices for both on the red side and as well as on the land side. I can't quote this or support it other than I heard it from somebody that I would believe to be viable, but Someone was saying to me that house prices in Burlington, for those not familiar, that's sort of the outskirts of West Toronto, almost at Hamilton, that the house prices out there are almost up 50% year over year for the start of the pandemic to now as a sort of example of just house prices in distance. Like Burlington, COVID traffic is 45 minutes away. In pre-COVID or hopefully post-COVID traffic, it could be an hour, an hour and a half to get from Burlington to downtown Toronto. So it's not close, but you can feel the demand for for spaces outside of the GTA, which would have traditionally been suburbs, like really distant commute neighborhoods. So it's, it's interesting, you know, that comment about land, resi land being in demand as a result of a work from home. And that's a gutsy bet, right? If you think about that, because by the time you buy the land, get it entitled, get it built, get it sold, like you're three or five years from now. So you're right. It may just be a very well, just natural renormalization of sort of the land market post-COVID. On that note, you talked about 2020, this year's first couple of months versus last year's couple of months. Can you give us a sense of how 2020's velocity 
by volume and number of transactions compared to sort of 2016, 17, 18, 19? Was it a serious dip? And now that we're seeing that 2021 is comparable to 2020, still means it's relatively low historically compared to what we were seeing three, four, five years ago? It's a quick rebound. Again, when we were looking at these numbers last year, back in March, we were anticipating 30, 40% off and be only 20% off. And now for this, this quick rebound in 2021, at least for the first couple of months based on the transactions or the momentum in 2020, it was faster than what we've seen as the recovery. And with 2016, 2017, it was, there wasn't a major impact on the economy to make the shift that way. So it's been slowly climbing with, with those years, but this turnaround in 2020-21 is, is going to be interesting to watch. Maybe we can get a little granular on, on some of the information. As is typical of Toronto people, we've already talked about Toronto quite a bit, but we could expand our horizons a little bit. We've mentioned Vancouver, but maybe talk about some of the data. You know, Calgary, Edmonton, we've got here as well for transactions. And Montreal touched on as well, but maybe we could talk about where the rapid growth is being spread around, which cities might be lagging a little bit. So talk about some of those uh, markets which we've not touched on yet. Yeah, sorry. Which market do you want to hit? Do you want? Well, let's look talk about Calgary. Yeah, I mean, Alberta's okay. got its own unique issues outside of, of course, dealing with a global pandemic, and so it'd be interesting to jump into that for a minute and see how they're faring as a benchmark against the rest of the country. Well. The thing about Calgary is it was interesting with the office market that the velocity sort of stayed the same for the most part with appreciation and for activity and didn't fall as as far as compared to Vancouver and um, Toronto. And to a certain degree, you can argue that, you know, with the 30% office vacancy rate, that any activity is good and it was lagging the other markets. But on the investment side, it's sort of the same thing with respect to there's some opportunities on the private side for some assets and it's reflective of, of the activity. Like the activity is actually up by 36% and volume is only down by 7%. And you're seeing good activity with respect to industrial. And again, industrial rental rates for the, especially the newer product there is actually still going up. So if you look at a sort of, can take a little bit longer for the Calgary market for the office vacancy rates to go down and for it to create employment numbers. But again, it's chugging along. It's doing okay, but it's not recovering as fast yet. But again, it's going to be a little bit longer term because of what's happening with the energy sector, even though oil prices have been um, increasing. It's going to take a little bit longer for that market to come back. And, and with Ottawa, it's with product. And again, they've experienced some of that positive employment growth with, you know, again, going back to that residential comment, more affordable housing, bigger bang for your buck. And um, it's also getting a lot more interest for opportunities being in sort of a smaller market, especially with some of the cap rate are a little bit higher compared to uh, a Toronto and Vancouver. So again, some good opportunities from that respect. I wouldn't say any market right now from an investment standpoint, depending on the objectives of the investors, whether or not they're looking for opportunity and whether or not they're hedging their bet and whether or not they can wait a little bit for vacancy rates to go down and rent rates to go up. But again, 
what we're seeing with some of this investment product that is transacting, there's some renewals coming out, especially on the industrial side that will provide some upside. And even on the office side, with depending on some of the rent that were negotiated between you know, five and seven years ago, even with that market with higher office vacancy rates, potentially they will see some upside in some of those rents, especially if it's negotiated 10 years ago. Hmm. That's interesting. And we'll maybe we'll talk about it in a second. I just, for friends in Edmonton, one of the items that jumped out at me that I thought was really interesting was the transaction volume in dollars is way down in Edmonton. Is that just a result of a major transaction that occurred first couple months in 2020? Or uh, is that indicative of sort of a larger trend? I don't think it is. Similar to what I mentioned with Vancouver, like Vancouver is showing investment volume down by 4% in January or February. It's not indicative of the, the market slowdown. I think it's a number is going to go up or a smaller gap. It's just the timing of the transaction. With Edmonton, I think it's the timing of the closing of some of those transactions. We have it down by 76% on the volume side, and I think it's going to be a dip in the market. And you look at overall activity, activity happening. It's 2020, we had it January, February at 128, and we have it down slightly at 2% at 126. So I think, think about stats, uh, sometimes it can be a little bit mis- misleading. And for Vancouver and Edmonton, I think it's just a matter of the numbers sort of catching up and for the data to come in. I want to emphasize this. That's good news for everybody in Alberta. I mean, I think there's always some, oh, poor Alberta, or Alberta's got, you know, significant challenges. And I think COVID's exasperated some of that, but at least it, based on the early numbers where you would indicate that the market seems to be stabilizing or returning a bit. Again, what I said earlier, Alberta's going to take a little bit of time to get back to some good growth, but the initial numbers are okay. But again, starting at sort of a, a low threshold compared to the others. So as it, as it pertains to the growth in the Alberta market. Uh, Ray, we talked about land being an indicator of people's belief in the strength of the market, but foreign investment would be another one. Can you comment on what we're seeing from foreign investment, You know what markets we're seeing it in, levels of activity, and then what we can extrapolate from that information? Well, the foreign investment activity last year was basically no, because people can travel and there's other restrictions. That has never fallen off with the pandemic of the radar screen. It's always been attractive from mobility standpoint. The, the, the transaction that we saw that closed this year on uh, downtown land at 357-59 Richmond Street, there's a lot of activity from, especially with private investors in the Toronto marketplace and plus the return of the institutions. And for them to be able to outbid the local investors and to secure that part so it gives you an indication that Canada is still attractive, especially from the standpoint of Toronto and Vancouver, the more recognizable marketplaces. But again, what we're also seeing some uh, alternatives, such as Montreal, is getting uh, looked at as well. So we're probably going to see more of that foreign investment activity this year come back in probably Toronto and Vancouver. But 2020 obviously had issues just logistically. It was tough to buy assets in other countries, both for Canadians going abroad and then for foreigners coming here. So if you were to look at the 2019 numbers uh, for an investment and what you anticipate for this year, now that theoretically there's more movement globally, how would you compare 2021 to 2019? Well, with the 
investors is also based on the size of the asset, right? And whether or not they can either partner in or aggregate it somehow. So they're looking at large deals, right? So as we see the course of this year, some of the you know, institutions and companies are sort of trying to tweak their portfolios. There could be some of those transactions that pop up that are of a size and magnitude that a foreign investor is interested in. So it's a combination. Yes, they're interested, but it has to be big enough for them to make a difference and for their effort to actually make that decision. So if activity sort of slows down, it's not because of the lack of interest, but it could be the lack of product. If you look at that transaction in Quebec City with Oxford Properties Group, selling their uh, apartment portfolio of 526 apartments for $118 million. Again, it's probably an opportune time based on the market and based on what type of pricing that they were looking to. to. So again, we might see some readjustments to some of the portfolio, those portfolios to allow for a few more opportunities to hit the market. Who bought that Oxford portfolio, Ray? Do you know? Yeah, it was a local player. It's Deville. Moffitt and Associates. I think they have properties. Their assets are in Quebec City and as well as with Montreal. So they're growing. And again, they see the opportunity and the growth of the marketplace and to pick up a, a really good asset. Maybe, and maybe that's a good segue into just talking about some of the major transactions. Uh, you know, Ray had sent Adam and I a long list. I think some of the more notable transactions that you've seen so far in the first sort of 60 days of 2021. And just before we go there, a reminder to the, to the viewers watching this live to get your questions into the chat and we'll have an opportunity to ask Ray directly those questions uh, once we uh, get to the Q&A session in about 15 minutes or so. Sorry, and so the, maybe rather than going through the list one by one, Ray, is there something that jumps out out of the, the interesting transactions you sent us? Is there one that you would highlight first? Well, we already talked about the land transaction which I think is significant because of the foreign player. The transactions that we have listed here, it just reinforces that demand for our apartment and industrial. And it gives you that, that there is still interest for investors in the marketplace and that transactions are happening. But again, the theme is, is a potential to um, improve the asset and some of the renewals that get into as opportunities that increase returns. Like uh, 15 Roehampton is a... Uh, Toronto apartment transaction, and it's a 50% interest sale from Real Can Reed to Woodbourne Capital for $151 million. And again, that's representing the largest transaction nationally so far in 2021. So again, there's, there's that level of activity. And uh, going back to sort of Montreal on the industrial with um, 401 um, Marie Clear Street in Montreal, fully occupied, 527,000 square foot multi-distribution facility acquired by Dream Industrial Reef for $114 million, right? And again, that represents the largest industrial transaction so far. Well, Ray, um, as well, for that transaction, the backstory on it is a little bit interesting. You talk about good timing in real estate. Uh, Group Quint bought it in December 2018, which would be a great time to make a chunky purchase in industrial, even though obviously the industrial takeoff had already happened. Of course, it's accelerated during COVID, but the notes here are they bought it for $25.8 million, completed upgrades, which I'm sure tally, you know, tallied up to quite a sum. Then you sell it for 114. 
I'm sure that was just a fantastic transaction for the vendor there, Group Quint. Yeah, but as well as for Dream. I guess that's on 38 acres. Again, there's expansion possibilities there that will increase the return on that property. So I think it's sort of a win-win for both the buyer and the seller, again, uh, taking um, the profits off the site. We talked about earlier with this podcast, a positive story. So and that's what we're seeing with the transactions. And even with respect to office in Edmonton, the CWB place, that is the largest office transaction in Edmonton since the Stantec Tower in uh, Q4 in 2019. And that was sort of a combination asset office and as well as the Jason Parkade that was uh, beside it. It's showing that if you have a good asset, and that's definitely um, one of the, the better assets in Edmonton, that there will be buyers for it, especially if it has anything to do with further expansion and further revenue creation for that parcel. Did you get more color on? I mean, that one was interesting to me. Just for the listeners and viewers, it was $96.4 million, which worked out to about 200 a foot. Interestingly or not surprisingly, it was 92% occupied. So that 8% vacancy is probably outperforming the marketplace generally. So you talk about the upside for the purchasers. Is that potentially they're seeing rent appreciation or is it the adjacent parkade? Like what are they looking at where they think they can drive returns? It's a combination of both. But depending on when those leases were negotiated, and whether or not there's a little bit of upside there and uh, whether or not there could be any other improvements such as amenities on the site that, that makes it a little bit more attractive. And that type of asset, and based on the occupancy level, it's, it's a good sort of medium long-term hold. Right? You're not looking to, depending on what the investment goal for this, it's, it's a good uh, performing asset. And that purchaser was Redstone Group, for those that are curious. I, presumably, that's a long-term hold, I would think, for them. One thing absent on this list is anything in retail. Is that due to a larger market trend or is it due to just this is a tight time frame? We're talking a two-month span of time and maybe you didn't see any large retail transactions. Yeah, it's my team picking to you the transactions. In the GTA, we said this last year, the retail transactions are only down by about 10, 15%. So it's not, there's still a lot of activity there especially with on the private side, picking up sites that are potentially redevelopment. So a sizable transaction for January, February, we haven't seen it. There's there's a bunch of um, smaller transactions. So that's why we didn't really highlight any of the retail sites. But going forward, what we should do is show more of a diversified list of transactions rather than just the larger transactions in the marketplace. They do tend to catch the eye more with the larger ones, but I do get your point. Uh, one that I want to ask you about on this one, there's a Vancouver land transaction on here, 56.6 million for 1.57 acres. That price, from my perception, you, you probably know better than that, but that price is, is a bit mind-boggling. Do you know the backstory to that one? Well, it's probably, because uh, that land is owned um, industrial, and uh, there has to be, some plan for redeveloping that site, but there hasn't been a development application submitted yet. So that'll be interesting play with Vancouver. And in Vancouver, it's very difficult to acquire that amount of land in the, in the urban area. So it'll be interesting to watch um, what type of application and what's in store for that. But again, it shows you that confidence in, in the marketplace. Paying for that 
that price tag for that land, there's definitely sort of potential upside depending on what you uh, redevelop that parcel as. So Ray, I mean, I think we've covered the the transactions. I mean, unless there's anything else you want to mention, I'm curious if you're comfortable just talking about what you're feeling, thinking about sort of the rest of 2021. We've talked about the first couple of months. You know, it's March 9th today. Interest rates are on the rise now, stabilized, but up from what they were early in the year. But it sounds like there's just so much capital sitting, waiting to be deployed, whether it's in Adam's savings accounts or whether it's our community that have been recapitalizing or capitalizing themselves during COVID to kind of pounce on the next opportunity. What are you thinking going to transpire in 2021? Are you bullish for the rest of the year? Yeah, I'm bullish. Um, by the way, it's Amazon shows up at my doorstep every single day. So I have zero savings in my uh, bank account, by the way. But if you look at the announced transactions in 2021, like Concert announced that it bought a Montreal distribution center for $90 million, and that's 424,000 square feet. And Dream Industrial, again, buys in Montreal for another $114 million for 525,000 square foot project. And again, those are um, deals are estimated at uh, very low cap rate. So I think we can see a lot more sort of uh, product get and take advantage of the, that capital that has been on the sideline or waiting for certain opportunities. And the industrial availability rate will still remain low right across Canada and continue story with lack of a product. But the office side, it'll be interesting to watch to see what happens. And then when we get the vaccine and when people will return by the end of this year or going into beginning of 2022 and and see what happens with the lease activity and the impact of work from home. And again, that whole thing with the retail side, even though we're seeing activity, you're seeing a lot of concern with respect to the brick and mortar and the shift to e-commerce and that demand for industrial. Retail activity is, is active. And again, it's mostly on the side of some of those assets. But from the investor perspective, it looks pretty good compared to last year. And last year, we had, what, two, three months of uh, sort of a lockdown in activity. So 2020 was playing catch-up year. So it's easy to sort of predict that overall investment activity should be higher than a year ago. And then what about valuations? I mean, do you think because of all this sort of pent-up capital just waiting to get out into the marketplace that it's going to continue to push values higher and higher? And is that across the board on all asset classes, even if we've seen stale rents and not necessarily the strongest of fundamentals, but there's just so much capital chasing opportunities that values just inherently have to go up? Well, investors are also being careful. There's a lot more discussion on what's going to happen with, uh, with the office market. We're spending quite a bit of time with our clients discussing the, the potential demand for office space going out for the next five years, especially with uh, in Toronto, 9 million square feet of office space and Vancouver at um, close to 5 million square feet and the possible impact to the, the rental rates. And we're already seeing the, the net effect of um, rates for office come off a little bit with you know six or 12 months free rent and tenant incentives or with tenant improvements on, on the office space. So I think certain core assets, you get, especially on the apartment side and industrial side, you will see continued low cap rates in that area, and especially for the core assets. 
office, you know, for our investment trend survey that anticipate by our clients that office cap rates may move up a little bit, especially with a little bit on the suburban side and some anticipation of cap rates to move up in the urban areas. Again, that's sort of a survey. We haven't really seen it in the way of the transactions yet, in the way of the, the cap rates. And same thing with retail side, with, especially with the, some of the tertiary markets that are having a little bit more challenges with the pandemic and with some of those retailers closing down and whether or not they're going to come back. So I think investors are definitely um, smarter and they have a lot more uh, information. And so they're going to be making uh, some wide uh, investments with certain core assets, but just because they have the amount of capital, they're not going to buy something at a ridiculous cap rate and not see any type of returns. So I think we're going to see cap rates move up a little bit in general, but for the core assets, and especially on the industrial apartment side, especially with anything with redevelopment and uh, increased revenue potential, you're going to still see some of those um, assets, cap rates to come down. I like the good news story, Ray. I believe it fully. But is there anything that you're tracking that could derail the rest of the year outside of anything to do with the pandemic? Because of course, you know, believe it or not, there are there are factors that are not yeah. pandemic related, even though everything in our world has been driven by that for the last year. Is there anything you're tracking on the horizon that could sideline us outside of the pandemic? Well, everyone's watching the bond market and everyone's looking at the interest rate and, what, uh, and whether or not that might slow down the economy. And with this pandemic, that we're anticipating further growth with the return of immigration and and you know, foreign students and, um, and for the economy to start kicking up again. If there's something there that I know and whether or not we hit a third wave of this pandemic because of a variant or other things, that could be a wild card. So there's other things that be out there that we're not aware of, but with the interest rates economy and perhaps if it does come back fast, what's going to happen with inflation? And it's getting those, the employment numbers are getting better, especially with the removal of the lockdown carry on in a few other places. So hopefully that will come back. Who could have predicted us uh, starting a lockdown a year later? So everything is pointing with respect to activity on the investment side. And again, office, it would take a little while to sort out. But industrial, the rates are doing well and uh, see how long it takes for retail to come back. So um, you can still be cautiously optimistic. Because there's still a wild card in there with this vaccine rollout and wait on the office market and see what the impact and what, what companies move towards of work from home and, what, and whether or not they may get back more of the office space than what they're discussing. But from a landlord standpoint, is that they still have good sort of terms on, uh, on their space. So the concern with, and you see that with some of the incentives, but again, they're not getting into that dropping rates and, and into that pack, you know, it's sort of like a, a wait and see still, but we're still seeing some positive signs, but you're absolutely right. There could be something out there that we just haven't seen yet that may surprise us. So proceed optimistically, but proceed with caution. That's the general message, I think. Yeah, um, for, as a researcher, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very conservative. You know that we yeah, yeah. I think everybody just wants everybody just wants to have something to look forward to. So let's look forward to a strong commercial real estate sector for 2021. 
Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast After Show, where Adam and I digest uh, the conversation we just had with Ray Wong. A lot of big transactions still occurring. You know, COVID slowed down, you know, our, our industry for a short period, about a year ago. But it's clearly that there's a lot of capital in the marketplace and a lot of people looking to deploy that capital. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the conversations you're having, Aaron, but I can definitely say that people has got to the point where they couldn't sit on their hands. Like, you know, yes, there's uncertainty. Yes, there's fear. Yes, there's volatility and all those things, which, uh, you know, is an industry we don't love, but you can only sit in your hands for so long. And I think that's, that's basically where the, where the industry's at. There's a lot of money that needs to be deployed. So people are moving forward, maybe with, you know, taking on a little more risk than they would have normally liked, but there is just this sensation that you can't sit around forever. And we're, we're, you know, we're, 14 months in now to this pandemic, that's a, that's a long time to sit on your hands, especially when you have seen that the real estate has not taken the hit that maybe we thought it was going to take the, at the outset back in you know, February or back in March and April of last year. I mean, we kind of danced around it a bit, but it, for sure there was some slowness softening in the marketplace, whether it's valuations or rents or cap rates or whatever. But, but I think if you're looking at it holistically, you know, in longer horizon timeframes, ultimately, you know, there's going to be a rebound and we're going to get back at it. And, and it's it's not a catastrophic collapse of our industry. And so I think, like you said, people just can't sit on their hands anymore. You're just making a calculated gamble that, you know, this is sort of the bottom of the trough or we're already on our way up. And so let's just, let's just get our money out. Let's get moving. Yeah. To that point, I mean, uh, outside of I guess hotels, obviously, that that is a, a significant trough for most asset classes. Not the greatest last year of you know business productivity, but not the worst. I mean, not bad period. People are still making money over the last year. I mean, the other thing that stood out too was you know as it relates to to retail is the disconnect between what the data is telling us about retail and what the the sentiment or the headlines or just the conversations taking place. You know, there's a, a lot of a lot of doom and gloom around retail, but you know, the data supporting that people are making money at it and will likely continue to do so into the future. And we kind of talked about it, right? Where it's, it's retail or it's land or it's both, or it doesn't really matter, right? Like, because there, there's always future development, uh, these giant parking lots, you know, that may not be utilized even in the future. But I think there's a lot of opportunity there that people are saying, let's get it now before more people realize that this is still great dirt, right? No matter what way you look at it, strength of the retail you know, operations or not, there's real good value in the location. So let's let's do it now and, and, and move. So yeah, I think it's it's really it is interesting that the data doesn't necessarily support the narrative that you hear sort of generally in the in the newspapers. I'm trying to think back now to uh, some of our podcasts. I'm trying to think how how we've commented on it in the past. And I hope that uh, we're in line with reality and not uh, doom and gloom naysayers ourselves, but I don't think we have been yeah, I think early on we were all like, office is dead. But yeah, I think there's always that knee-jerk reaction when things happen. But no, for <laughs> sure. I think now everybody realizes that, yeah, no, it was it was a struggle, but we're going to get through it. Knock on wood, anyway. The other thing that stood out to me about the transactions to date that we talked about and looked at with Ray is how active Montreal is on that list with very large transactions. Because Montreal had a, a very good story heading into 2018-19, you know, because Seven eight years ago, Montreal had some some you know headwinds of slowing it down, and there's been a lot of a lot of great activity there in the last couple of years. And you'd have to you know it'd almost be just uh, you know make you cry to see Montreal's real uptick being sidelined by COVID. But I mean, as far as I can tell, looking at this data here, there's a lot of big institutional players making big moves in Montreal in a post-COVID world. So I think that 
the good news will continue there. Well, it's MTV, right? We're hearing that as a sort of investment strategy more and more from some of the largest institutions is that it's no longer just Toronto and Vancouver. It's Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. It's become equally as attractive as an as a investment or maybe put it another way, the fundamentals, the underlying economic fundamentals in Montreal, whether it be population growth, you know, job, you know, income levels, whatever, whatever, are strong enough or sufficient enough that make it as attractive or almost as attractive as the other two major you know, locations in Canada. Yeah, and not that the you know the major institutions weren't already active in Montreal because you know they, they definitely are, but Toronto and Vancouver topped everybody's list for the longest time before he wanted to do big chunky transactions. But I mean, when you look at the list here of, of uh, transactions. There's there's real institutional interest, which can only be good for that market, and uh, not just institutional level. I mean, all all levels of investment. But that's a, a real sign of of belief in that market. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's it. We do have more conversations with Ray upcoming over the year. He's uh, always great to speak with because. Boy, does he uh, understand data in a way that uh, you and I don't. So I look forward to the next conversation with Ray. And everybody, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.